Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of the Vertical Podcast. Glad you could join me this week. And we have a very narrowly focused podcast this week with the NBA offseason kind of dying down. We focus on the one team or two teams, really, that are keeping it alive. Boston, Cleveland, Kyrie Irving, Isaiah Thomas. We take a deep dive into those trade talks and the Thomas hip issue that seems to be holding it up at this point. I'm joined first by Steve Bulpet. He's a terrific beat writer for the Boston Herald, been around for decades uh, in Boston, very plugged in with that team. We dive into the Isaiah situation and exactly what Boston is thinking right now as they move forward. A little bit later, I check in with Billy King, the uh, former Nets and Sixers uh, general manager. Uh, we take a big picture look at you know, why the Cavaliers are pulling back, what kind of compensation uh, they might be justified in asking for. We dive into all that more uh, with Billy King. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, very easy way you can support it. Head over to Apple Podcast, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the very best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, let's go. Joining me first on the pod, guys covered the Celtics for a very long time. So long, in fact, that I'm actually the second Mannix that he has uh, worked with in the Boston sports media game. Steve Bullpett, the uh, great uh, Celtics beat writer over the Boston Herald. How are you, Steve? Thanks for overselling me. Appreciate it. (laughs) All right, so here we are. We're recording this on Monday night, and there's still no resolution to the trade that was announced between the Celtics uh, and the Cavaliers. The latest information that we have is that uh, the Cavs want something more in exchange for uh, Isaiah Thomas and his hip injury. They get Jay Crowder, they get a top five pick, but the health of Isaiah has apparently uh, caused the Cavs to have some concern uh, about finishing this deal. What do we know about 
I guess, the Celtics' willingness to engage on this and sweeten the pot a little bit for uh, Kyrie Irving? Well, um, the short answer is nothing solid. That's what, that's what I know anyway on this. Um, I think at some point there may be something, but I, I, I can't see anything more than a, than a second-round pick uh, being added to the, to the package. But I, I, I'm not sure, you know, whether what's going on is, is what we see in front of us. You know, I... I I'm not sure if there are if there are some uh, trader there is some traders remorse going on or, or what the real deal is, but uh, I, I think there's a, a lot of stuff here on uh, that's involved. Yeah, my understanding, Steve, is that, or at least this is how Boston feels, that they've been very transparent throughout this process. That they've given Cleveland everything they know about Isaiah's injury, and they feel like that the sweetener in this, that being that potential top five pick, was was part of all this, was was part of the understanding that Isaiah could miss some time uh, at the start of the season. Uh, my read of it from the Celtics' perspective is that there's, I don't know what the word is, frustration, perplexion, um, aggravation, I guess go through the list of, of, of adjectives, but uh, it, it, my understanding is Boston's a little bit uh, little bit angered by, by all this. What's your read on the Celtics? Well, you know, my read is actually from the Cleveland side, and what I hear from there is that nothing they found is anything different than what was conveyed to the Cavaliers uh, in the trade discussions and certainly in the medical information that was, that was passed forward. Um, so, yeah, I, I, would, I don't know for a fact that the Celtics are frustrated. I haven't spoken to anyone that's given me specifically that impression, but I, that makes perfect sense because, you know, nothing here is – nothing should have surprised the Cavaliers – um, and the other part of this that makes it a little stranger as well is that the number one thing Cleveland, the, the number one prize for this, for Cleveland, uh, even from, from the Cavaliers' standpoint, is that number one pick. Um, they're looking at a situation, and, there, you know, there's a bunch going on here. You know, let's start with the fact that it really would have been untenable to go into training camp with, uh, with Kyrie Irving on the roster, and there's real question whether Kyrie Irving shows up. Uh, secondly, you've got the specter of LeBron's post-year uh, decision looming. Um, so that that first-round draft pick, the Brooklyn pick, uh, unprotected, unencumbered next June, is the real prize here for the Cavaliers. Um, you know, the hope was that I guess from their standpoint that. Bringing in a uh, an Isaiah Thomas will allow you to be have a chance to compete this year, still be you know in the mix and compete for a championship. But uh, again, we we go back to the start. What they wanted was the pick, and there's a good chance that Le- that Isaiah Thomas, even assuming this deal goes through, there's a good chance he's not a Cavalier for the 2018-2019 season. So we know Isaiah's coming off his best year, top five uh, MVP voting, uh, all NBA team, um, you know, just uh, a fantastic year uh, all the way around. But not, look, I, I don't, you'd find few people that would think that Kyrie is, you know, probably not the better player straight up than, than, than Isaiah Thomas. Uh, the, the Celtics being willing to move Isaiah, do you think that's just a product of Kyrie being available? Or do you think that, Isaiah's constant uh, mentioning of, of how much money he wants to make 
uh, in his next deal uh, contributed to this? I don't, I don't think the latter is a real issue because uh, Isaiah talking about the you know backing up the Brinks truck and you know a phrase he's repeated and and seems to enjoy that's just part of you know of the guy's drive and I think the Celtics uh, look at it that way. I mean, here's a guy that that you know is that wants his points and not in a bad way. He's not you know. Uh, Turning down open and open teammates to to shoot the ball, but you need to have a guy. I mean, Bird was that way. Bird wanted to score, and uh, the fact that that you had a guy like Isaiah that was a uh, was an every night producer uh, really turned this franchise around. I I've said it before. I think the Celtics owe Isaiah Thomas a huge debt of gratitude for for changing the way. This team has been looked upon for making it a place that uh, that an, an Al Horford would want to come to and a, uh, a Gordon Haywood would want to come to. Um, but I don't. So I, I think that's just part of it. I don't think the Celtics have ever really looked at uh, uh, or thought that they were ever going to give Isaiah Thomas a max contract. And I'm not sure necessarily that. He'll get one in the open market, but um, I don't think that's the issue. I think you had a chance to get Kyrie Irving, three years younger, and by you know by every account, um, a better player. Despite the year that 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 Isaiah had. So let's assume that this deal uh, does get completed uh, over the next couple of days. I mean, this is a significant overhaul of a team that won 53 games last year, uh, first seed in the Eastern Conference. A handful of players left over, would be left over uh, from that team. What do you think this team looks like on the floor? How do all these pieces fit with Hayward and Art and Irving and, and Al Horford together? Yeah, it is, your original part there, that is pretty amazing. You've got a, a 53-win team and a conference finalist that brings back four players and uh, – only one of whom is one starter they bring back. Um, so yeah, uh, it's it's pretty amazing. Uh, look, you I think with Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, and Al Horford, you can be pretty well assured of what you're going to get from those guys. I think there would be a, a an orientation period as as those guys get used to playing with each other. Um, just Kind of getting their their biorhythms on the same uh, same wavelength, um, but I think the larger issues, larger questions for how good the Celtics can be, are are questions for March at the earliest, and I think a lot of it depends on what are they going to get out of how how quickly uh, is the developmental curve for a guy like Jason Tatum um, and. How much of a step forward, and I expect him to take a fairly large one, does uh, Jalen Brown make in his second season? Um, you know, those are the issues that will decide, you know, how much a very solid team with three, you know, traditional all-stars can, how well they that team can compete uh, in a real sense. Because, look, we all know that, and I think, to the Celtics' credit, they knew that 53 wins in the conference finals did not make them a team that was competing for anything. And they recognized that fact and, and weren't, um, weren't fooled by it. 
You know, Steve, I'm with you on Isaiah and the impact he had on this franchise. But when this trade was was first announced, I liked it a lot. And look, I know you give up a potential top five pick and Isaiah is a good player and Jay Crowder is a good player. But when it comes to Isaiah, I think there's I think we might have just seen his best year. Um, Not to say he can't be an all NBA caliber guard, but I don't know that I see him being an MVP candidate or a top five MVP guy. Uh, in the years to come, and I don't, I don't love how small guys age. And when you throw in the hip injury, uh, when that trade first went down, I just thought that they were getting, that they were making the right move uh, with this team. What did you think? Well, it, in terms of Isaiah, yeah, I think it's pretty well fair to assume that that were he still on the Celtics, that his numbers were going to go down this year, just for the presence of Gordon Hayward. Look, one of the big reasons why. Um, Isaiah Thomas averaged so many points was the fact that who else was gonna Um, and you're able to better spread the scoring around now but I will say this about Isaiah you know yeah he was a gunner but but in a way that you wanted him to be he was a guy that accepted that that pressure of being a scorer every night he's not a Jeff Green who could drop 40 on you when the spirit moved you but it wasn't going to move him all that often this was a guy that was going after it each night um, but what encouraged me the most about Isaiah Thomas as an all-around basketball player was game one of the conference finals a game they lost by I think 13 yeah. he had 10 assists Isaiah he should have had 20 guys were missing open wide open shots so that let me know that he's not only a guy that wants his points and wants to produce, but in the parlance, he's, good, he's trying to make the right play. And um, I thought that gave them a, a, you know, I thought that might work out well for them. But, yeah, if you can get a, a Kyrie Irving, you have to do it. Because, look, another thing we learned with, with Isaiah, and, again, this would have been mitigated some by having a, a, a Gordon Hayward, is that when teams could gang up on Isaiah in the playoffs, and they're not going to do it so much in the regular season, you're not going to change your defensive scheme uh, when you're playing three games and five nights or whatever. But in the playoffs, when they changed their defensive scheme, they were going to take away a lot of what Isaiah can do. And uh, in the, we all know that in the NBA, in the playoffs, games are won by guys who can accept the double team and make a play anyway. And I think Kyrie Irving is more that guy. I, I think, you know, I, I'm stunned at how people uh, don't realize, or maybe some people don't realize exactly uh, how impactful a player Kyrie Irving is. And, you know, uh, him wanting out of Cleveland, I understand it. And uh, I don't think it's for the reasons that have been characterized. Like I wrote, what I've, what I've heard was that he didn't so much mind you know, being the second fiddle to to LeBron James. I just don't think Kyrie Irving enjoyed being reminded of that fact every 20 minutes. Mm, yeah, he's uh, an interesting guy, kind of an introverted type of guy from what some of his teammates uh, have told me in Cleveland. Not a bad guy, but a guy that kind of gets in his own head and, and marches to the beat of his own drummer, uh, for, for, for lack of a, a better phrase there. But... And, and Chris, that's going to be the big challenge. I wrote that, well... Uh, a day after the trade, that that's the big challenge for him this year. If Kyrie Irving didn't like the way that uh, that LeBron James used his leadership, well, here's his opportunity. 
uh, here's his opportunity to to lead a team uh, and to understand that that uh, requires more than just what you do on the basketball floor. Uh, he has a chance to kind of create the narrative for this team. You know, after a game when when things go wrong, a leader is going to accept. Uh, the, the lion's share of, of what went wrong and try to smooth things over. And when they play well, he's, he's got to be able to spread around the praise to guys that maybe did dirty work like setting picks and things like that. So he gets an opportunity now to, to be more than just a scorer and a passer and a, you know, whatever. He, he has to also understand that that's part of the game as well, the off-court stuff, and not just – you know, because we're media people saying that, but for the fact that the, the fans follow that stuff and the, his teammates will pay strong attention to what uh, to how Kyrie is acting after games and what he says, because he has an opportunity to, you know, smooth over a bad night for a teammate or you know maybe praise a guy who is not going to get doesn't have a lot of numbers to go along with what he contributed that evening. You know, any coach would welcome the opportunity to coach a team headlined by Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, uh, and Al Horford. But, you know, you've got a couple of guys used to having the ball in their hands. I mean, Al Horford's an unselfish type of guy, but he's also uh, a former All-Star. How big a challenge would an Irving, Hayward, Al Horford-led uh, team be for Brad Stevens? Well, I think the, the problem with Al Horford is that he's sometimes too unselfish. Um, you saw when he, when he took when he was a little more assertive in the playoffs, uh, just how, how much his impact uh, increased. Um, I, you know, I think coaches like every every team is a challenge. Uh, I think that um, I think coaches would rather have a challenge of coaching really good players and trying to figure out how they can make that work than trying to squeeze extra wins out of a team that doesn't really project well. Yeah, you know, I tell you what, um, you know, what would be what what is probably one of the bigger non Kyrie related challenges to me is that you know right now the the center position is is tough for Boston. I mean, Al Horford seems to be the the incumbent. Aaron Baines uh, brought in, but you know, you've talked to Al Horford about this, I'm sure, and I have as well. He he does not want to be a five and, and doesn't doesn't want to play 35 minutes uh, at the center position. I mean. Do you think Boston's comfortable with what they have right now at the five, or do you think they explore that market that includes an Andrew Bogut or somebody else uh, at that uh, that middle spot? I think the latter. I, I do think they'll look. Um, you know, they've got to see, I think, first. Look, if, if, if a guy like Bogut is available there to them and they think he's fine physically, sure, I think they'd go with it. But um, I think that you've got to see what you have with uh, you know a lot of guys who haven't played you've got to see you know um can you get minutes out of uh you know the dancing bear Gershon Yabaselli you've got to see um how stuff fits and and we we're pretty well aware by now that Brad Stevens is of the school that you know you put five good basketball players on the court not necessarily guys who fit uh traditional roles um the team, you know, had rebounding issues last year, but you know, so did the the Golden State Warriors, and I, I we seem to think they did fairly well last year. I don't want to overstate <laughs> things, but yeah, I mean, you know, um, 
rebounding was a problem. And uh, but you can get re- you don't need a necessarily need a huge beast in the middle to to solve your rebounding issues. You need guys that can rebound from different positions. You know, last year going get the fifty three wins, winning the top seed was was a pleasant surprise for people in Boston. Probably a pleasant surprise for everybody uh, in the organization to have that level of success. But now that you bring in big contract type of guys, Hayward, presumably Kyrie, I mean, what should the expectations be for for the Celtics? Let's just say over the next two or three seasons. Well, last year, fifty three wins and the conference title in the regular season, you know, we know that wasn't real. That was because Cleveland decided to rest people. It was because uh, Toronto had injuries. I think both those teams were better than the Celtics. And I, I, I don't think there was, you know, maybe some people looked at it, oh, I, it wasn't a big deal. Um, but ready or not, by when you get a, a, a Gordon Hayward and then you get a Kyrie Irving, you're telling people that you're competing for the conference title. And, you know, they were competing for it last season if you want to put the word competing in quotation marks. Um, now you're saying we realistically have a chance to win the Eastern Conference Championship. And, again, I, I think a lot of how realistic that is will depend on how some of the younger players develop. Um, you know, I think Jason Tatum's a really good player. He's also going to be a rookie. Um, then again, he's uh, more mature than a lot of guys that, that, uh, at that experience level or even age. So we'll see. We'll see how it develops, and we'll see what kind of uh, situation develops around the team. And here, again, is where a Kyrie Irving comes in. Here's a guy who's won a championship. Uh, he and Al Horford and Gordon Hayward have to create an environment that allows young players to be comfortable, um, as comfortable as they can be under the circumstances. You know, you mentioned Jalen Brown. He's one of a couple of guys that I think are going to be critical because it always comes down to to role players and, and what they can provide. I mean, the stars do what they do, and of course, end of game situations, you know, they, they've sure. got to perform. But you know, role players are, are critical, and, and Jalen. I thought it was a good sign for Jalen's future that that the Celtics entrusted him during that conference finals with, you know, I think it was four or five games playing twenty minutes per game and matching up with uh, with LeBron James. Obviously, it's a it's a relatively low risk situation. As they were getting pummeled uh, the first couple of games of that series and and looking for anything that worked. But what did you see out of Jalen in his first year and 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 what 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 should they expect from him in the second year? Well, um, just the basic Jalen Brown dossier is. He's very gifted athletically. He's very bright, and he's very much willing to work. Um, you know, <laughs> not a bad starting point, eh? Um, so uh, I wrote before the playoffs started last year on the eve of the playoffs that, you know, take a good look at Jalen Brown because this is as bad as he's ever going to be. He's never going to be this, quote-unquote, bad again. Um, and I fully expected him to take – uh, a, a major step forward this coming season. I, I do expect that because he has, you know, people can tell you what to expect, but you have to experience it and you have to know how to focus your off season work. Um, because this time around, you're going to know what's coming. Uh, the good of him is that he, uh, you know, is all out on every possession. The difficult part of Jalen Brown was that 
this past season, he was roughly 50-50 on, on whether he was going to make a spectacular play or throw the ball uh, to the guy in the third row with the, with the brown suit. Um, you know, you weren't sure which was going to happen. Um, but, yeah, I, I think he's a guy that you know will give you defense on every possession. Um, and uh, if the outside shot comes around even more, uh, that will better help them help this team space the floor. And you've got with him and Kyrie, uh, you've got some guys that that can make some really good moves to the hoop. And you know, from a spread floor situation, if you've got outside shooters that need to be honored, you know that's like running a, a fast break in the half court. The other guy I'm interested to see, Steve, is someone I wasn't. I'm almost somewhat shocked that he's still there. Is Marcus Smart, uh, mm-hmm. a guy who's been. In, in every trade rumor, uh, it seems like, over the last couple of years, entering a contract year, which is always an incentive for a guy to play better. Uh, when I watched him in the last you know month or so of the season, I saw some good point guard skills uh, out of Marcus Smart, Steve. And, of course, uh, Game 3 of the uh, the conference finals, he had you know, his best game maybe of the, po- of the po- postseason with Isaiah down. He made shots, and and he was great. I thought his conditioning you know, was lacking last year. Um, you know, entering this contract year and presumably going to be part of the team moving forward, uh, what's Marcus Smart's next step? What do they need from Marcus next season? Uh, they need Marcus Smart to to be in better control of Marcus Smart. Um, it was funny after that game, game three, where he had you know seemingly you know everything was together more. He said, "Hey, it had to be. You know, uh, there was more responsibility, and I had to do that, which is kind of crazy. It's like, well, dude, you need to do that all the time." Um, so I'm interested to see also how well he comes back this year with more responsibility. With regard to the conditioning thing, um, I spoke, had a long conversation with Brian Dew, their Celtics' former strength coach now, just before they did they, the Celtics reorganized their, uh, their medical and, uh, and conditioning staff. And he, had, he spoke a lot about how much work uh, Marcus was putting in already in the off season, so clearly that's something that Marcus Smart recognizes, and I guess you'd have to expect until we we would maybe see otherwise that that he um, has at least uh, repaired uh, that issue. Never underestimate the uh, incentive of a contract year. Always seems well, to bring out the best in guys. Yeah, and I and I also think that he you know realizes that. Uh, you know, there's more at stake here now. He's not a uh, a young and developing player now. He's he's a guy that's got to play. And um, you know, I, I think he knew that even before the moves were made for uh, for Gordon Hayward that um, uh, included as part of it the uh, losing of uh, Avery Bradley. Mm, yeah, no question. Uh, Steve, great stuff, man. Uh, I'm sure you'll eventually get to the Celtics offseason, uh, maybe in the next couple of days. But uh, thanks for uh, taking some time out to join me here on the podcast. Nixie, they're ruining our summer. <laughs> That's the truth. Thanks, Steve. You're well, Chris. All right, before I get to Billy King, I've got to tell my listeners about a great new deal over at Gillette. The Gillette folks just sent me a package of fresh razors, fresh blades, and I couldn't be any more happy. I'm, I'm telling you. I usually hate shaving. It's not something I like to do, but because of all the TV obligations and all the other crap I've got to do on a regular basis, I've got to shave at least three or four times a week. And the best way to do it 
is with Gillette. The tip of the Gillette razor blade is so precise, it's measured on an atomic scale. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds awesome. Their blade edges are thinner than a single brain cell. The hundreds of members of their R&D department have spent 4,700 years combined working to make a Gillette shave closer and more comfortable. That's longer than the Egyptian pyramids have been around. Over 1,000 craftsmen and women make Gillette blades uh, in Boston. Meanwhile, another team of folks are putting your blades through more than 60 strict and precise quality checks. Failed just one of these tests, and a blade doesn't leave the plant. It's unbelievable. In other words, the hardworking people at Gillette never stop working to make your blade better. Now that includes the price. Get Gillette blades at their lowest price in years. See for yourself at GilletteOnDemand.com. Gillette, the best a man can get. Pricing applies to select products. It is the sole discretion of the retailer. And now, my conversation with former Nets GM, Billy King. Joining me now on the pod, uh, Billy King, the former Nets and Sixers general manager, now doing analyst work over at NBA TV. And he's here to explain to me just what is going on with the Celtics and the Cavaliers right now. How are you, Billy? I'm doing good, doing really good. All right, so give me some context here. I mean, the Cavaliers, and from what we know right now, they're balking a little bit at completing this deal of signing off on the physical uh, for Isaiah Thomas. I mean, how common is it for teams to to notice something on a physical and something they didn't know about anyway and, and to hold out for maybe a little bit more in terms of compensation? It happens. It's not a lot, but it does happen. I, I think back to, and, you know, I was just thinking about it before I got on the phone with you, and that, you know, the first trade I ever did when I was with Sixers was for Dino Raja involving the Celtics, and we knew that he had some um, knee issues, and then we brought him in for the trade, and, and then our doctor failed him because he had a uh, back problem. And so we called him and said, you know, we were going to fail him because he had a back problem, and, you know, but then... They they weren't happy. This was Rick Pitino and Chris Wallace, and then I set up a conference call with both doctors and all the executives. And end of the day, both doctors agreed that he had a back issue, and and so Pitino still wasn't happy. And I think he, at that point, he wanted to have David Stern be the arbitrator, and uh, they eventually backed down in the deal. We voided the deal, and uh, Dino, I think, and ended up buying him out. Because uh, he wanted to go back to Europe anyway, so it happens. Um, and usually, you try to work it out if you, you see a way if you get more assets. But um, it does happen. Teams have a lot of rights, though the acquiring team, right? When it comes to a situation like this, I mean, you just you mentioned that um, you know that they were looking for David Stern to arbitrate it. But you know, I mean, the Cavaliers, if they want to avoid this deal, they they pretty much can, correct? They can. It's it's in their sole discretion because you got to remember. What they're taking in and giving up, they're giving up a player they think is healthy and getting a player they think is hurt. And it could be altering a franchise if you do that, if you take in a player that's hurt. So, you know, they want to give that incoming team. That's why you exchange all the medical things before you even agree to a trade and before you even call the league. And you go through it and try to be as thorough as possible. But once a player comes in and the doctor does actually see him, they do their own MRI. Um, and each doctor is, is different. Um, there was a doctor, I won't name the team, but he was in a city that notoriously failed guys on physicals that other people, otherwise the team thought he was healthy. So it does happen. And, um, but it's each doctor, you know, cause those doctors are putting their reputation on the line too. They're putting it on the line with the team by saying, yes, I think this guy will be able to play for you. He's healthy. And if he doesn't, then you go back to the doctor, you passed him, you said he could play. So, 
Um, it, you know, I think with Chris Webber, when I traded for him in Philly, knowing that he had a bad knee, uh, I had Jim Andrews, who actually did the surgery, who I'd known pretty well, do his physical on his knee. Um, so you try to get as much information as you can when you make those decisions. So what do you think's going on here uh, between these two teams? Because I have a hard time believing, in fact, I don't believe, that the Celtics were anything but transparent uh, on Isaiah's hip. I mean, everybody knows he had the hip injury. It was uh, constantly updated over the course of the offseason. I had Brad Stevens on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, and, and he was very direct with saying that, you know, Isaiah's hip is an issue. Uh, he's going to have another scan in September. It's going to give us more information. I don't think the Celtics held anything back here. So knowing that or believing that, uh, what do you think that, that caused Cleveland some concern? Well, I think, you know, this is just me thinking, looking at it. I, I think what happened was once the doctors looked at it, I think maybe Cleveland was under the impression that he may miss the beginning and, you know, get back on the court. And once they looked at him and examined him, they said, you know, he may require surgery once we get him running. And, and you know, uh, and that maybe gave them pause because they probably thought, okay, if he misses the first month, misses training camp, we'd be okay. But if he needs surgery, it could be a longer process. And that made them maybe made them think, like, wait a minute now, we are in the assumption that he was going to be ready to go maybe in November and December, not maybe later. Um, and, and that's the concern probably on Cleveland's end, that they thought they'd get a player for majority of the year, and now they, they, they may be up in the air on that. Yeah. I, I have a hard time seeing Cleveland void this deal just because it seems like they want that pick. I mean, they... They want Isaiah Thomas. They want to, you know, to compete next season, but they want that potential top five pick. I mean, that's uh, that may be their protection in case LeBron James bolts in 2018. If they can get a top three pick or whatever it turns out to be, um, if the Nets, uh, you know, fall that far, I, I think that's their end game. And and I wonder, you know, just how hard they're going to squeeze Boston and all this to to make it work. Well, I, I think they're going, they're going to squeeze as much as they can, but at the end of the day, I think you're right. I think they do want this to go through. But I think they thought they were getting a, a player that could help them win now and get back to the finals and get that pick. And now they're sitting there saying, wait a minute, we may not win this year. Now what if LeBron is unhappy, he leaves. Okay, we do have a pick, but we're going to lose the best player in the league as well because we're not going to be as, as good. Um, so I think they thought going in, hey, we're getting a player that can – you know, get us, help us get back to the finals, and we're getting this pick. And so I think that's a little bit in their mind is that, you know, they were looking at it one way, and now it's a whole different situation. So put yourself in Danny Ainge's position here. You've got young players. You've got a surplus of first-round picks, both yours and those belonging to other teams. You've also got second-round picks. I mean, how deep do you go into the well to, to get this deal done? Well, I, Danny is, is very shrewd, and I, and I think that they'll sit there and, you know, I think they'll try to figure out a way to do it, maybe with a second, uh, as you reported last night. Um, but I, I just don't know if they want to give up any more of those picks because I think they may look at those, hey, we can use those to maybe get another piece down the road. Maybe it's Anthony Davis, so we can use those. And so they've got, a, knowing them, they've got their eye on somebody else. They want to use those other assets to try to acquire, and they don't want to deplete themselves because it may be you need one more pick to get Anthony Davis. And if you give it up in this deal just to appease Cleveland, you lose out on that one down the road. So I think they're going to hold, hold firm here. And, um, you know, earlier I thought maybe they may get the Memphis pick, but I think they, they're, they're going to hold firm because I don't know if Cleveland can get a better deal out there. If they take Kyrie back, they still got to trade him because it's not going to be 
good good locker room and and so I don't know if they can get a better deal out there um on the table uh, and people will know that they'll have to do a deal. I'd like to take this moment, Billy, to uh, remind people that it was you that uttered the name Anthony Davis and not me. I I got killed when I wrote a couple of months ago that the Celtics were eyeing him uh, as a possible trade target. Let's just be on the record here that it was Billy King and not Chris Mannix that reinserted Anthony Davis's name into trade talks. Well, you you know what happens is in this league, uh, even when it's executive, you try to look at what teams, you know, players may potentially be – you know, available or be able to try to get, you know, if the, if a player's sitting there, because that's what happens now. Players are sitting watching other players win, and they're not winning, and they get disgruntled, and their agent get disgruntled, and they start, you know, looking to move them. I, I think they're going to be better this year if they can stay healthy, uh, starting with the Drew Holiday and, and Cousins, and I think they'll be better. So, And he's come out and said he wants to stay there, but that doesn't stop teams from trying. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know how much better they're going to be either. I mean, you you have Holiday and Rondo as a backcourt that doesn't help you with your shooting problem. You just lost Solomon Hill for uh, for for the season. Not like he was a great shooter either. But I, I I'm I'm not a believer in, in in what the Pelicans are going to be. It's and they're in the Western Conference where it might take like 48 wins just to get into the playoffs uh, next year. I think they're probably a 35 to 40 win team this year. And, and then they're going to have a decision to make. I, I, that part I agree with. I think, you know, my my belief on Anthony Davis and his his, his potential trade availability uh, has hinged on the fact that I don't think the Pelicans are going to be very good. And uh, when you get to that two-year point, that's when you have to start exploring trades, right? That's when, when his value is going to be at its highest. Yeah, and interesting is Cousins is a free agent into the year. So now they've got to make a decision, you know, do maybe they say we're going to Pay cousins and and move Anthony Davis and you know or, or do they say we move cousins before the deadline and try to get something to appease Anthony Davis? Um, they're going to have some decisions, but I do think they'll be better just because they'll be healthy. You know, they, you know, I know you say Rondo and Drew Holiday. You know, they got veteran guys, and when you have Anthony Davis and uh, um, cousins, you're going to win some games just because all those guys are just so talented. But there's nobody that shoots though, Billy. They they. They can't shoot. <laughs> You're right. They they're not they're not a great shooting team, but they still got two guys that can dominate inside. And and what they will do is they'll get the other team's big men in foul trouble. And even if you can't shoot, if you're running running depleted guys out of me, your bench is not that deep, and you're trying to guard them, that's where you can run in troubles. If this was 1997, I'd love that front court. It's it's 2017. <laughs> well, and the, the one thing I do I will admit in the in the West, when you have Golden State, it's going to spread the floor and shoot in, in Houston. But a lot of the teams then, you know, after that, you know, I think they can match up with. All right. You know, you, you, you want to trade Anthony Davis, and now you're back in the Pelicans? You're all over the place on this one. I don't know, I don't know where you are there. Right. Um, let, let me go back to Boston for a second there. And, and Irving, you know, part of his desire to to exit Cleveland is to kind of be his own man and, and have his own franchise and be out of the LeBron James shadow. Uh, he, he believes clearly that he's a franchise player. Do you look at Kyrie Irving? I know it's kind of a nebulous term, but do you look at him as a franchise player? I think he has all the attributes and the tools to be that guy. Um, when he was there in, in Cleveland without LeBron, they didn't win. He couldn't carry them. But now I think he's matured. He's played with LeBron. It's going to be interesting to see now because it's one thing to want it, and it's another thing to have to go do it now because now every night, I know they'll have some other pieces around them that are pretty good, but if you want to be the guy – 
then you've got to do it every night. LeBron James brings it every night. Michael Jordan, Kobe, those guys, Allen Iverson, when they were playing, you knew every night that they were going to play big minutes and they were going to carry the torch and take the double teams and take the punishment physically, and they delivered. And that's that takes a toll on your body when you've got to do that. So, you know, I hope he's ready for it because, you know, if not, then the scrutiny will come. Does this set any kind of bad precedent because – you know, uh, when he first demanded a trade, you know, my instant reaction was, well, they're going to deal him to like Phoenix and he's going to wind up winning 25 games for the next three years and you know, probably regret his decision to, to force his way out of a winning situation uh, when he was so young. But if he winds up in Boston, yeah, he goes to one of the most functional franchises in the NBA. Great coach, great supporting cast. I mean, does it set any kind of bad precedent that a player can force his way out kind of? Uh, you know, submarine a team's quest for a championship and, and land very much on his feet? Well, it's happened, though, where guys have said they wanted to be traded. Um, you know, you know, Carmelo from Denver, and, you know, wanted to go to New York. He got there. Now, you know, they were, you know, they'd won 50, didn't go to the Eastern Conference Finals, but, you know, he went to a team that for a while there, they were winning games, and then things changed there. And uh, But, it happens, and it's been happening in this league. And I think, from Cleveland's standpoint, they they had to get the best deal they could possibly get for him. If this deal, if this, if they had put it out there before July first, I think they could have got more. I think then it maybe does end up in a team that's not as good and, and not winning. But if they put it out there sooner, does Chris Paul maybe end up in Cleveland and not uh, Houston? Um, so that's the thing, and I think they knew. Uh, Pretty much after the season that he wanted out, so uh, maybe they could have got more if they, you know, let it known be soon sooner. You know, if Isaiah is healthy with the Cavaliers by January, I don't think Cleveland takes any kind of step back, at least when it comes to the Eastern Conference. I think there's still the class of the Eastern Conference in Boston. Look, they've been—I don't want to call them the little engine that could. I mean, they were a 53-win team last year, but you know they were kind of an upstart over the last couple of years. You know, rising from the depths of of a rebuild to emerge as the best team in the Eastern Conference. When you add Hayward and you potentially add Irving, you've got Al Horford. You've got three max-level guys on your roster. That comes with expectations. That comes with a belief that you're going to compete for something. I mean, how far away do you think Boston is from being a true? Let's put it. Let's use the championship contender label. How far away do you think they are? Well, the one thing I think they've got going from they got one of the best coaches in the league and one of the most underrated coaches in the league in Brad Stevens. I think you know I didn't know how good he was before they went to Boston and having spent some time with him in, in South Africa with the NBA Cares and then watching him coach. I think he's an unbelievable coach. The one thing I think they changed their team was they were a team that they, they were went after you with Avery Bradley and. Crowder and even Isaiah, I mean, they were pit bulls, I would say, because they went after you. And now I think they changed their team to more of a, a, a offensive team. Uh, they got some great offensive tools that, you know, they'll put up big numbers on uh, when they're all clicking. I don't know if they will have that same grit that they had when you played Boston. You knew, like, when Avery Bradley's picking up 94 feet, it was going to be a dogfight, and your point guard's trying to get rid of it. And now Crowder's in the passing lane, and they're off and running. Um, I, I don't know if they'll be that same team, but I go back to have Brad Stevens, and I think this team is built more to Brad Stevens' liking. Yeah, their ability to be any kind of, of, of defensive presence probably hinges on Marcus Smart and, and what he can do, and, and he's entering a contract year, and 
And I mentioned earlier in the show, I thought he did some nice things as a point guard towards the end of the season. Uh, he obviously had that huge game three in the conference finals. When you look at Marcus Smart, who was also a high draft pick, six pick in the draft, uh, his year, do you see a future long-term point guard? Do you see a combo bench guy? How do you see him? You know, I think the way the league is going, I see him as a basketball player, combo guard that can play some point. Uh, you don't want him to do it uh, as a steady diet, but I think he can do it. I look back at the Detroit Pistons when they had Isaiah and Joe Dumars and Vinny Johnson. When Isaiah and Joe was in there, I don't know who was the point because they both handled it. So I look at them to be more different guys handling the ball at different times. Even if they get Kyrie, they'll get it off his hands and have Marcus handle it sometimes. They've still got Rozier, Gordon Hayward, you know, in Utah, he handled the basketball. So I don't think they'll be a, a, a one person you know, handles the ball a lot. I think it'll be a more of a let's get the ball movement and, uh, and, and not pound it as much. I said this earlier uh, in, in the podcast, Billy, but uh, you know one of the reasons I like this deal, even though I think Cleveland, uh, you know, would be getting a lot in the the pick and Crowder and Isaiah, is I think Boston is selling Isaiah high. Um, I don't think he's going to have the type of year he had last year ever again. Top five MVP, where he was just a breakout star, All NBA second team, a huge star uh, this past year. And and look, you're a guy that's coached smaller players, a guy like AI. Uh, in Philadelphia, I, I don't think smaller players age all that well. And I think they age faster than guys that are a little bit bigger, especially at that position where there's a lot of bulldogs nowadays, middle linebackers uh, playing that position. I, I can see Isaiah starting to fade a little bit once he gets that next big contract. So uh, the big reason I like this deal is because I thought they were selling Isaiah off at the right time and, and obviously getting back a, a marquee player in return. Well, I, I think that the you know for the fact that at his age and with the contract coming up and what he was going to demand on the open market, uh, and if they wanted to keep what they were going to, have to pay for him, I think you're right. Um, and having a small guard, you know, we were fortunate having Allen, uh, but it was majority of his career was under the old rules where you couldn't zone up, and so you could isolate him, he can get by guys. But once those guys start losing their quickness. That advantage goes away, and then and now the way the defense can load up, it's tougher for those guys, especially when you get the playoffs and the game slows down a little bit and becomes a little more half court. It makes it tougher for them, and then matchups a lot of times become a tough situation when you're looking out there, especially in a seven game series. You know, teams exploit matchups, and when you have a smaller guy, they try to figure out how to put them in the situations to their disadvantage. Yeah, and, and with Isaiah defensively, uh, I, I think his problems are always going to be there because of his size, and, and he doesn't have you know a natural quickness on that defensive end of the floor. But I haven't studied Irving enough. He's regarded as a, a an average to below average uh, type of defender. But do you see him as having maybe the tools to get better? I mean, obviously physically, he, he's able to do it at a higher level, potentially anyway, as Isaiah. Do, do you see him being a better defender um, if he – if he worked at it, I mean, could could he become a better defender? I thought he was a better defender the year they won the championship. I think mm-hmm. he, I thought he focused in on that end of the floor. I thought this past season, it wasn't something that he put a lot of focus on, and I think that's why it hurt him a little bit. Um, he's got the ability, and that's going to be up to Brad if he ends up in Boston to pull it out of him. Because in order for them to get to where they want to go, it's got to start with him because he's he's going to be guarding guys. That you know, this league now has point guards that come at you and score every night, and so he's got to lead the charge by guarding guys like that. And that's what Avery Bradley did for them in Boston. He took those guys and really took them out of their their offense and made them point guards have to pass the ball sooner. And that's when they were in the pass lanes for those steals. 
The deal goes through too. It's the the, the end of the Nets pick era in Boston. Yes, yes, it is. And it'll always be coming up, and uh, I understand that. Um, you know, when when we made that deal as a group, um, and I told ownership, we're all in this together. We make decisions. We make them as a group, and so I'll stick by that. Um, we made it, and we had a plan, and the plan changed, and. You know, then they made another change, and I think they're heading in the right direction now. But, yes, it'll be over. <laughs> <laughs> Mercifully over yes. at that point. Did, when you looked at that deal, and, and, and I mean, obviously it turned out that, that all those picks became uh, extremely valuable, but was there one pick that, that you thought, because of the age of Pearson Garnett, that even if they played at a high level and able to play for a few years, that that would have been extremely valuable, that would have been a really good one that, that, that might have been uh, turned out well for them? I mean, you mean player-wise, or, or I mean, or, where it would land, like that that pick that that you thought to yourself, okay, we're giving up these three picks, and and um, you know, this one I, I'm a little worried could be a really high pick because of the age of some of the players I'm taking on. Well, the, the biggest one was this one coming up because of the fact of the plan was to, to keep it together for a couple of years, and then we'd be in the free agent market and get a free agent and keep winning, but. If we didn't get the free agent, then that that chance that could have happened. But it was more the the last one. Uh, it's over. It's okay. Yeah. It's, it's it's now over. It's it officially out of Boston and and out of your hair. Well, let's get this deal to go through. Then it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's over. But uh, hey, you know it's you make decisions and you know and then you can go back and look at them and and learn from them. And yeah, you know, I've learned some things that you know in that deal and and dealing with ownership that I probably would have pushed back on. But, you know, at the time, you know, we made it and we believed it was the right thing to do. How much of that, and I know you've covered this in the past, but, I mean, how much of that was, you know, a strong desire to become a presence in New York right away, to to compete in the early years in Brooklyn? Well, it, it wasn't so much about just being in New York. It was about getting two pieces to help us set the culture. And, I, and, and for the short time that Paul and KG there, they did help set how we, we should conduct ourselves uh, because we didn't have natural leaders on the team. And uh, those guys were leaders, that, you know, from the time they came, they were in the gym in the off season, first thing in the morning, you know, in the everyday practice, they were there early. They made guys do certain things. And so I think that they, if we could, I thought if we could have kept it together for two years, it would have helped really solidify, you know, the, the culture that we needed there. You know what's interesting too with with this year's pick is that I'm not convinced that this pick is going to be as as great as the Cavs may hope it's going to be. Um, I, I think there are a lot of teams out there that are about to begin a epic season long tank. Um, I think there, I, I I do I believe there are at least two or three of them that are going to do that. The Nets have no reason to tank, and you know uh, if they can stay healthy. And I know they they lost Lopez, but they added some good guards. Uh, Jeremy Lin was banged up last year. I could see them being, you know, the fifth or sixth worst team in the NBA, and if that's the case, that's a big win for the Celtics to move off that pick. Well, and I think a little bit that's why they may be willing to give it up because I think they're looking at it just as you said that they that team will be better. Um, I think they got more players to fit the style that Kenny wants to instill, and uh, very similar to what they did in Atlanta. You know, they struggled, and then. The second year, they really started to click a little more, and then third year, it, it clicked a lot. And so, I think that if they all buy in and understand that they share the basketball and move it, and uh, and they're going to shoot the three, and they got better shooters now, um, I think they'll be better. And I think that's why Boston was a little bit more willing to, to move this pick. 
tank fest in the NBA this year, Billy. It's going to be. I, I, I would agree with you. There are going to be some teams that, that are, are setting themselves up to get a high draft pick. I don't know what the solution is for the league, though. I mean, I was frustrated last year. Phoenix frustrated me the most last year. Phoenix, because Earl Watson wouldn't shut up about it. Earl Watson was calling it management decisions to the press. He was, when asked why Bledsoe and Knight and those guys weren't playing, he said management decision. I mean... That, that if that's not brazen tanking, I don't know what is. Well, that's that's where I think the league should come in and and and, and find teams because if a coach says management decisions, then go to management and say why why aren't these guys playing? Because <laughs> uh, I think the league owes it to the fans and owes it to the other teams because as you get towards the end of the season, there's playoff ramifications, which is big dollars for these teams. And they, so they should ask them if it's management decision then you know if it's legit injuries i understand but if it's management decision the league should step in and say okay we're going to find you because you know, you can't come on and just say we're not playing the guys because we you know basically saying we we're trying to get picks and I'm, that's where the league should find organizations for that i'm just looking for that first looking forward to that first spurs warriors game where pop rests everybody you know they make such a big deal about you know, uh, no four games in five nights, and we're stretching out the schedule. I, I can't wait for Pop to just say, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna give uh, I'm gonna give uh, Manu and, and Tony this this night off." Yeah, well, I, I think you'll see the league being a little more aggressive this year and and trying to manage that because I think they realize that, that it's a, it's becoming too big of a problem, and especially when you have playoff ramifications for teams at the end of the season. You know, that that really affects other uh, other owners, and if your partners in this is which they're supposed to be, then you should be looking out for your partners as well. What's a bigger problem, though? Like, um, you know, a, a, a team resting guys two or three, because that's really all it was, too. It was like two or three times during the year. There were high-profile times, and it was ESPN, TNT, televised games, but I, I firmly believe that a team like Phoenix, you know, sitting out all its stars for a third of a season and, and, and other teams doing something comparable, that is a far bigger issue for the NBA. Well, and I think that I think that's where, and I know Adam Silver is concerned about it. That's where it, he, they've got to look at their other partners in the eye and say, you know, yeah, we're doing it because it's, you know, it's, you know, it, it, it comes back around. If you're going to do it, I say, you know, eventually you're going to be in that situation again, and you don't want somebody else to do that to you when you're trying to make the playoffs. And um, and that it's not fair to teams that are really trying to compete and um, to try to win a championship because I, I do believe. Winning is habitual, so is losing. If you're telling guys we're not we're not trying to win, then guys accept it. And so, how are you going to get on it when you really want to win games and you expect to win? If you're willing to say right now, it's not that important. Anytime you play the game, they keep a score. It should be important. You should try to win. Well, Billy, great stuff as always. Uh, I'll let you get back to looking for the uh, best season tickets in New Orleans. I know that's uh, a priority. <laughs> For you, big Pelicans well, believe. I'll see them when they come to Philly since I live yeah. here now. So <laughs> yeah, I'll see them when yeah. they come here. Okay. Uh, Billy, as always, thanks for joining me here on the podcast. All right. Take care. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Steve Bullpett and Billy King for joining the show. As always, you can download archived episodes on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, post a comment, leave a rating. You know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week. There's a shortcut to platinum status at Shell. To saving 10 cents per gallon on every fill every day. Just fill up six times with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline and it's yours. Plus, you'll rejuvenate your engine. Get ready to level up performance, rewards, and savings. 
With continuous use in gasoline direct injection engine fuel injectors, Platinum status is earned with 12 Phillips over three months, 10-gallon minimum per Phillip at participating Shell locations. Terms apply. Visit FuelRewards.com slash status. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.